the term missional is a term that that is that is both embraced and not embraced by depending on who you talk to. Um, and, I, and I don't really know, um, you know, kind of where you are on the terminology. And I want you to know, I really don't care so much that you use the word, but I do care that you live um, on mission. Um, and so, you know, I preached I preached at the Desiring God National Conference this year. And, uh, and, and you know, people talk about, well, you know, are we a missionary or are we not a missionary? Um, and, 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 and I'm actually going to encourage everyone to live as a missionary. And so the, the pastor there who invited me to speak at the conference, his name is uh, John Piper. And... Um, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know who you know. <laughs> he pastors a small, struggling church. <laughs> He's kind of a witty guy. Um, sorry. Um, and, and it's funny because John, John and I have this disagreement. And, and you know, it's like, it's, it's like a disagreement. You know, like John and Ed are two peers and we're sitting around arguing theology. You know, I'm some little punk that John uh, once heard say something he disagreed with. Um, and so, but, but, I, but I have sometimes said that people should, uh, that every Christian should be a missionary, should, should live like a missionary. And John objected to that. And uh, he said, no, 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 they're missionaries and missionaries cross cultures. And, and, and he had a very specific definition on that. And so I was preaching and he asked me to come and preach on, on uh, what it means to be to our neighbor in the nations. I'm very passionate about God's global mission. That's not been my assignment here. You know, when, you, when you're, you're asked to speak on certain things, you speak on those things. But I've got, I've got a, there's more that I want to talk about. Um, and so John and I, uh, so I was up Saturday night preaching at the Desire God National Conference. And I, and, I, and I said, I said, now listen, some of you like the term missional, some of you don't. Some of you, I say, let's be a missionary. I say, listen, I know, for example, John Piper, uh, there are, uh, John Piper has said that no, every Christian's not a missionary. And I've actually said in, in, in inarticulate moments, I said, every Christian should be a missionary. And, uh, and, and I said, now I know what your pastor says. And I want to respect your pastor. Your pastor says every Christian is not a missionary. But let me give you an alternative view. Here's the alternative view. It's this, is every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I said, and that, the guy said that was Charles Spurgeon. So you decide, John Piper, Charles Spurgeon, I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to get in the middle of that fight. I'm just a little peon right there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but so it was Spurgeon who said every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, now, now here's the thing. The word missionary is not a Bible word. And so it's not like we're defining the essence of the Trinity. And we have to talk about homo, you see us in homo. You know, it's, it's, it, the, the terminology is inarticulate. Now, that's right. It's inexact because the terms are not biblical terms. Thus, people can say, well, I mean it this way. Well, here's, here's what I want you to hear. Uh, what I want you to hear is we can say this a thousand ways. I can say, I want your people to be all missionaries. Great. I probably don't usually use that language. I'd like them to live as missionaries, but here's what I'd like. I'd like you and I to lead a congregation and a movement full of people who are living on mission. And the reality is, is that too many and too often we have congregations full of passive spectators rather than active participants in the mission of God. And so, and I'm, this is going to be, I'm going to give away my message tomorrow at, uh, at Moore uh, College, but, but, but I, I want to talk about um, some of why that is. First Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a special gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the Bible teaches an interesting phrase. It's as each one, okay, as each one. And that's a key phrase um, because in this case, I, I know lots of Calvinists here. In this case, all really means all. Okay, I know that it doesn't always mean all, but in this case, all means all. Thank you, Al, for smiling and getting the joke. Everyone else is just bitter because, you know, Calvinists have no sense of humor. Um, <laughs> so at least on the blogs, they don't. Uh, um, <laughs> Coming into a place called the Geneva push, making Calvinism jokes may not be the best idea. <laughs> just, just, it's subtle, the Geneva push. Um, 
The, the, but, but the thing I want you to see is that when it says as each one has received a special gift, and I'm gonna, like I said, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow, is that that, that that means all of your people are called to the ministry. Now, not the same way that you're probably called to the ministry. Um, and I don't know, but yeah, I'm assuming that many of you believe that God has called you to the office of pastor, elder, um, or other roles in the church. And so they're not called the same way, but all are called. And I think part of what has happened is, I mentioned this earlier, is that most of Protestantism looks like pre-Reformation Roman Catholicism with the one holy man up front. He's the only one who can read the Bible and interpret it for the people. He's the only one who can do the ministry. And we have to minister to the passive people. And so I want to talk about some transitions that I think are necessary uh, in this way. And I want to start by asking you to reconsider Christian leadership, to reconsider Christian leadership itself and, and the role and the function that Christian leadership has. And one of the first things is, and I apologize, it's a little smaller than it's, it's a, there's a font issue going on as you can, it's also on fire, as you can see from the heat waves. Uh, this is hot stuff right here. I don't want you to miss this. Um, is I, is, is I, I want you to, to, to move from this idea of Superman to everyone. Superman is a, is a TV character. Do you know Superman? <laughs> I just don't know. I know. Um, um, which is interesting. Actually, the character who played Superman ended up committing suicide. Um, and I think a lot of people who try to play Superman end up committing suicide. And when you try to play Superman as a pastor, you commit spiritual suicide. Because God has not called you to be the answer to every question and to be the one who provides every need. And I think what has happened is, is we have created a congregational system or structure where you are the, the holy man. And, and Superman is the holy man. And what I want to say to you is, is if we're going to see a multiplication movement. Now, now again, this is not specifically to that. Scott asked me to talk about moving people from passivity to activity. But part of it is you have to stop rescuing them all the time. You know, and this is hard. This is this is hard and even offensive to some people. I was uh, churches in, in my tradition. I'm, I'm a Baptist, and uh, um, and so you know, we we, we uh, in my tradition in the states, we have these things at the end of the services. Not all Baptists do this, but it's called an, an invitation or an altar call. I'm always amused by the fact that Baptists have altar calls when they actually have no altars. Um, it's not an altar, people. It's a carpeted step. Uh, but nonetheless, they have these altar calls and. Uh, and people are supposed to come forward and um, confess, you know, pray, um, receive Christ. And so, um, and to be honest, the church I pastor, we don't, we don't do it the same way. But that's kind of how they do it in the traditional churches in my country. And um, one Sunday, the, a young couple came up afterwards. They had a little son. We'll call him Johnny. He was eight. I've got a, I've got a daughter about his age. And, and they came up and they said, they said Pastor, um, we want you to, uh, to, to meet with Johnny and to, uh, to talk to him about, he's, he's ready to receive Christ. He just has some questions. And, and, and it was interesting because I was the interim pastor of this church, and interim pastor is, is a unique job. Like I said, you get to do the preaching, but you don't have to deal with the, the other stuff. But I love to do some of the other stuff. And so, but it was interesting because I, I heard myself saying, uh, and you're going to think I'm a terrible person, and I want to end on that low note. Um, but but I, they said, would you talk to Johnny? He's got some questions. And I, and I look at them, and I tried to look really pastoral, which is hard for me. And, and so I said, I said, well, I said, well no, why didn't, no, why don't you meet with him and talk with him? And they looked at me like you looked at me right there. You just, Amy looked at me like, what a horrible person. That's exactly the look I got from them. Um, and, and, and I said, no, no, why don't you, why don't you talk to them? And, 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 and they looked at me like I just said, you know, let's cut the head off of the goat, put it on the altar and pray to it. I mean, they were just oh, shocked. And, and I said, I said, you know, why don't you talk to him and, and you pray with him, you answer his questions. And they said, but they said to me, but he's got, he's got questions, they said. And I, and I, and I said, before I could think, I said, but I mean, are they, are they hard? Uh, you know, I mean, 
he's eight. Is he? You've been at this church 15 years. I knew they, the past, they've been here for a long, long time. You've been here, you know, the gospel preaching for 15 years. Um, they, 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 they knew the gospel. I mean, I, I wanted to say, is he struggling with the ontological arguments for the existence of God? Is he, is he has questions about lapsarianism? I mean, what is the issue? No, this little eight-year-old wants to say, how's a big God going to forgive me of my sin and come into my little heart? That's, I mean, he, just, he just wants to know the basic understanding of the gospel. And so they left just mad. I mean, they, they just, Arr! and uh, I mean, it was like, ooh, Tasmanian devil stuff. And uh, that was contextual right there. That's good. I was practicing that. Scott said, try to be more contextual. And, uh, and so <laughs> he didn't say that. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> he said, stop trying. It's not working. Um, <laughs> So, so, but really, so they left mad and they actually called people up after church and said the pastors, you know, the interim pastors, the devil. I mean, they, they called two Sunday school classes of people to say that I, what a terrible thing I did. And, and so, so, cause that's the way we do it in the, in America. We just, we talk to everybody else instead of the person involved. Um, so two weeks later, and I kind of forgot about it cause I'm the interim pastor. So if they hate me, what are they going to do? Fire me. I got a job. Uh, and, and so, um, so two weeks later I see them coming up after church again. And I'm like, Oh no. I'm in trouble. And so they came right to me and they looked intense. Um, and they said, uh, they, they call me, um, they call me brother. I don't know if that's a tradition here, but they call them, they call the pastors in certain parts of the United States brother. So I was brother Ed. And, uh, you know, where I come from, I'm from Long Island, New York City. You know, the brothers, they were kind of the mafia. And, uh, you know, and so, oh, they're the brothers. And so, you know, you mess up. But they come, they brother Ed, they said, can we talk to you again for a second? I said, sure. I said, sure. I said, sure. He said, and they said to me, and they said, pastor, we just want to, Brother, we just want to thank you. And they said, for not robbing us of the opportunity to pray with our son. And they shared with him, I trusted Christ, and I would baptize him soon thereafter. And, and, um, and it, was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. But you know, I got to tell you, I would have much rather have been Superman because they would have loved me more. I would have prayed with their son, and they would have called two Sunday school classes of people and said, we have the greatest pastor ever. I mean, they would have loved me. They would have held me on their shoulders and cheered my name because <laughs> I led their son to Jesus. It would have been a deep felt loyalty. Instead, they, they trashed me. Is that the term we would use here? They trashed me to two Sunday school classes. And I can assure you that when they came back to apologize to me and to thank me for my foresight and not talking to them, they did not call back those two Sunday school classes and tell them they were wrong. So I just know that, that because I chose not to be Superman. But here's the thing I want you to hear is you can be Superman only for so long, and it will wear you down, and it will wear the people down. Exodus 18, Jethro. Jethro's the guy's name, right? Jethro. You want to take advice from a guy named Jethro. So Jethro comes to Moses. Sorry, later in the day, I get caffeined up, and I get a little wild. Uh, so Jethro comes to Moses, because Moses is standing before the people from day to night. And people use this. It's, it's not, this is not about your small group ministry. I've heard people use this to, about their small group ministry. It's not a hermeneutically responsible use of the passage. But it is, it is a point that, that Moses, it says he's sitting and judging the people from day till night. And the people would come to him, and, and it says, and, you, and so Jethro comes to him and says, listen, you will wear yourself out, and you will wear these people out. And because and why? Because Moses was trying to be Superman. Well, what he needed to do was to share the leadership and the responsibility to a broader group, a broader base, to reconsider leadership. Leadership is not the accumulation of leadership. It is the distribution of leadership. Let's hear this. Leadership is not the accumulation of leadership, but the distribution of leadership. And the distribution of leadership allows people to engage in God's mission more effectively. So it means a shift from me to we. 
to think in terms of what is my most important role. You know, and I struggle with this because whenever you say most important, it's, it, it precludes other things from being the most important. But I would say whatever it is, an exceedingly important role for you, an exceedingly important role for you is for you to equip God's people for works of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 11. And so what that means is a movement from personal power to people empowerment. One of the hardest things you may have to do is to keep people from making you their priest. Now, again, I get the policy here. I'm not, I'm not saying it. But you see, there, in every culture in the world, every culture in the world, anthropologists say and study, part of my, my PhD work is in anthropology, so I'm kind of like this amateur anthropologist, but not a very good one. Um, but here's what, what we know from anthropology of religion. Every culture in the world has religion. It's kind of fascinating. It's a universal constant that every culture has religion. Every culture in the world creates two things because they have religion. They create religious rituals that satisfy the gods, the spirits, or God. And they create religious hierarchies or priests who therefore do the work for them so they don't have to. So every religion in the world does that. They create religious rituals and religious hierarchies along the way. Okay? So you've got every culture in the world pushing your church to the same thing. And here's what your church wants. Here's what the people in your church wants. Some rituals they can do to keep God happy and somebody who will do the religious stuff for them so they can go on and live their lives. That's not the gospel. I will tell you, that's what I grew up in. I, I, I grew up um, in an Irish Catholic home, and that's probably not even fair. The Catholic church was the church we didn't go to on Sundays. But I grew up there, and I knew that I just had to do a couple things. God would forgive me. And that guy up front who always yelled at us for 10 minutes a week, he was the guy who ultimately did the rituals that we needed to be right before the gods. So the desire here is to move actually from you accumulating, because here's the thing, watch, hear this. Your people want you to do for them what God wants them to do. Now, let me say it again. Your people want you to do for them what God wants them to do. To reach others to serve others, to disciple others, to disciple their own children. They want to delegate what God has called them to do to you, to the religious rituals and the religious hierarchy. And so helping them to think differently causes a reconsideration of that kind of leadership. And I think ultimately it moves people from, well, seeing them part of a small thing to be a part of a big thing. Now, let me give you another area I think is important. Is that I've, called, I've mentioned this before. I want to drill in on this a little bit, is the idea of clergification. That's not a real word. If you Google it, you can find lots of references to it, but I made it up for an article I wrote, and I forget the name of the magazine. Um, it's a Christianity Today publication. And, and here, here, here's what I want you to consider. Um, I believe that we have been clergified, which is inappropriately gathered religious ritual and responsibility among credentialed clergy, rather than sharing it with all God's people such that movemental Christianity is possible? How do we move from passive spectators to active participants in the mission of God? Well, let me encourage you a couple things. First, I think we've got to change and make a shift from three tiers to one mission. Uh, right now, there, there, it, there it feels to me that around most of the West, it's not the rest, but certainly in the West, there's three tiers to how people think. Um, there's the very uh, bottom level of it all, and that's, uh, that's lay people. Lay people, they're not, I mean, they're okay, they're there, but they're okay. Um, there's a level above them, and that's those who are, who are uh, 
clergy paid for the ministry. They're, 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 they're in the ministry and they're called to the ministry. And then there's a level above them. Those are the, the missionaries. They're the really good ones, right? This is why the Sydney Missionary Bible College has that in their name. It's not just more college. You can get more college any day, but you get Sydney Missionary Bible College. See, I wanted to give you a little love back because I kind of... <laughs> I kind of threw you under the Anglican bus a few minutes ago, and so I wanted you to, wanted you to feel the love. Here, here's, here's the problem, because I, I actually think we want to we wanna honor those. I want to honor people who God has called to be pastors and elders in churches. I want to honor people God has called to be missionaries. But the way we honor them is not to say those at the bottom tier are not also called to the ministry and sent on mission. Again, 1 Peter 4 says, as each one has received a special gift, use it to minister to one another. Everyone's called to the ministry. Um, John 20, 21 says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you, sending his disciples and down through time us. All, all of us are sent. Everyone's called to the ministry. Everyone's sent on mission. The only question is where, among whom, and doing what? I want you to, I'm going to say it again. Everyone's called to the ministry. Everyone's sent on mission. The only question is where, among whom, and doing what? So to join God's mission means that we have to have some shifts. So for example, I would say, as many of you are pastors and church leaders, um, is to say, to move from saying, I'm called to the ministry. Sometimes we might say, if people ask me that, they say, Ed, when were you called to the ministry? And I, I will say between my junior and senior year of college, which is actually not theologically correct. I was called to the ministry the date of my conversion. God gifted me for ministry at that moment and at that point. And so then I also encourage people to say they're called to missions. Well, I, I, would, say, I, I would say there may be a separate call to missions. I, I don't see it in Scripture, so I'm not, I, I don't, and by, by saying that, I'm not saying that, 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 that means it's wrong. What I'm saying is we don't see this unique separate call to missions in Scripture, but we do see that people are sent on mission, and they seem to be called to a people. Paul said, you know, I wanted to, he wanted to go to Spain, and, and, and Thomas clearly wanted to go to India, and, and we find Peter goes to Asia Minor and then comes back to Jerusalem. So we see, we see all these ideas, and so there's this, this, this continuity of sentness that's throughout the Scripture. Uh, and, and God is a sending God by nature. Um, and, and this is important that because people want to argue about the mission of the church, and that's fine. I'd be happy to argue with about the mission of the church. But, but what I want you to hear is this, is that, that one thing we shouldn't argue about is that God by his nature is a sender. And sometimes we forget that when we learn the attributes of God. We say he's holy, just, and merciful, and righteous, and all that's true. But he is by nature a sender. Francis DuBose wrote a book that, with a helpful title, God Who Sends. Sends the Son. He sends the Spirit and the Son, name of the Son. We see all this. So, so all of us are sent on mission. All of us are called to the ministry. The only question is where and among whom. And I think one of the things we've got to do is to help God's people stop seeing living that way as exceptional and help them to start seeing it as ordinary. This is how Christians live. Now, yet that's not the way it is for most people. I mean, you, you know it as well as I do. You see that one person who's just on fire and you think, oh, they're a little strange. They'll calm down later. When did they'll calm down later become a discipleship strategy? <laughs> but I think ultimately it means a breaking of this idea of, of priests to a priesthood of believers. Now, again, I'm using the term priests in a way that is very specific because I recognize some people use priests to refer to those who serve in a pastoral role in a congregation. Um, I'm using it in the sense of the Old to New Testament transition that's at work. And it's real simple as this, is that the scriptures, First Peter says that we are a kingdom of priests. And the point is, 
is that all of us live with access to the Father by the throne, by grace, through faith. And in doing so, we all live as now representatives. First, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. So we represent him. We're, we're priests. Not just because we're pastors, but we're priests. Now, some have, believe in a, you know, have a separate role. There's a sacramental understanding, and I totally get that. And I'm not here to trash that. I might not share that, but I'm not here to trash that. What I'm here to say is this, is that we've got to see all of God's people engaged in God's mission. And I think part of that is breaking that cycle of depend, codependence. I talked, remember my Oprah moment before? I don't quote Oprah a lot, so seize the moments. Um, I think we've got to break those cycles of codependence. I will tell you, this may be one of the hardest things that you do. One of the hardest things you do may be telling your congregation, you know what, I could do that for you, but it's better that you do that for others. See, see here's the thing. The question, congregations want to be cared for by pastors, and they want to hire pastors who are going to care them, care for them. And so what happens is they ultimately, what they ultimately want is they want at the end of the day for the outward movement of the string to stop and for you to spend your ministry caring for and nurturing the string. And they'll, they'll split if you won't give enough attention to the string. But your job as a pastor is to say, yes, the string, we value the string, the string is important. But God has called us with this ever-growing outward mission to plant churches, to be on mission, to share Christ with our neighbor, to show and share the love of Christ and to make a difference because we do that very thing. And I will tell you, they would get mad at me. Those people got mad at me when I told them I wouldn't talk to their son. But at the end of the day, when they own the ministry and they live on mission, it changes and reshapes the way that they think. And that means we need a renewed focus on mission. A renewed focus on mission. Uh, for example, I, I would say one of the things I encourage you to consider is to move from full service to simple mission. Um, for too many churches with too many people, their goal is to meet the needs of the congregants. And so what happens is, is the church becomes the store, right? And it's the distributor of religious goods and services. And so if you do it well, if your music's better and it meets my needs and the preaching's fun and engaging, then I'll come because you've met my needs. And as a customer, I'll throw a few bucks in the plate and I'll be a customer of your religious goods and services. But what I would say to you is, is a better solution and a more biblical solution is instead to really just focus people on what has God called us to do and how do we join him ultimately on that mission. I talk a lot about mission because I'm passionate about the subject. I want us to live as agents of God's mission. And the reality is we've said to a lot of people that their role in a congregation is to pay, pray, and get out of the way. And I, I would say instead is to join God on his mission in the world. What is God doing in the world and how do we say, here am I, Lord, send me. There's that passage from Isaiah 6. Remember in the year King Uzziah died? It's taken up into this just incredible vision and there's... There's angels with freaky-looking eyes, and uh, there's smoke, and there's temples shaken, and, and, and God speaks to himself in plural. And that's interesting. God reveals himself as, uh, in, in plural. He uses plural language on just a few occasions in the Scripture in creation. You know, let us make man in our image. And, and here in Isaiah 6, he says, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? Because God is a sender by nature, and we get this picture. And so Isaiah says rightfully what we should say personally, but also what we have to lead our congregation to say corporately, and for them to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Wow. That means our churches have to live as agents of those who are sent. Now, this, this is a key thing, because what happens is churches want to arrive. They want to live arrived and not live sent. 
That's their desire, and that's why. Because what happens is a church sets up a subculture, a religious subculture of its own, and wants to live there. Because what happens is they sort of get it just the way they like it. It's not too cold. It's not too hot. And so they want to live there. And what happens is they lock themselves into that subculture. One of the challenges of my denomination right now is our churches thrived best in the 1950s in our denomination. And some of them are still living there. And, and, and one of the things I say, I, I, my national denominational meeting, I got up and said, listen, if the 50s come back, we are ready to go. <laughs> they invited me back the next year. See, the thing I don't want us to miss is that, is that ultimately what we've got to do is to help churches to live where God has placed them, to help people to live where God has placed them as agents of his mission there on that journey. And it means it really is a shift from decision to disciple-making, raising up disciples who, as part of the disciple-making process, that we will engage them in the kind of disciple-making that really leads them to mission engagement and mission action, and it makes ultimately all the difference. Now, I'd say last is we've got to move from mission statement to Jesus' mission. How do we join Jesus on mission, and how do, how do we engage that along the way? Well, it's, it's, it's real simple. In, it's Luke 19.10. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. So I, I think one of the things we want to do is to teach our churches the centrality of gospel proclamation. Jesus also in Luke 4.18 and 19 came to serve the hurting. He announces the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Um, we see this in true religion in James defined as caring for widows and orphans and protect, keeping oneself unstained from the world. So with gospel proclamation at the center of the mission and gospel demonstration flowing out of that mission, we ultimately lead our people to move from passivity to activity for gospel transformation. Now, I'm going to ask to take about 30 minutes, and so I want to close, I want to close with this. Here, here, here's what I want to encourage you to consider is a realignment of priorities, a realignment of priorities. One is the recognition that God is a missionary God. Um, God is a missionary God. God is a missionary God by nature. Um, God has been sending. I actually have a, a whole presentation I do where I look at the kind of the timeline of redemptive history of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, and and, uh, and I go through it just, just, uh, just, just in a short... In fact, I'm going to show you just for fun. Because uh, there's nothing I enjoy more than showing you something for fun. Uh, but, you know, it's so important to get because I think sometimes we miss the, the sending of what's going on here um, along the way. And, and, how, and, how, and how we're to see this and, see, and see, see the work of God kind of throughout that journey. Oh, now I can't find it, but that's okay. Um, but I, I think when we see God as a missionary God, we can see that our task... Part of our task is to help people to join him on his mission. So how do we do that? Well, personally, I think we've got to ourselves, if we're going to see movemental Christianity, movements have to start with moved people. Let me say it again. If we're going to see movemental Christianity, movements have to start with moved people. We ourselves have to say that we're going to do, and we're going to join him on mission. We're going to model this to others. Listen, you cannot lead what you do not live, so don't get up and say, we're going to do this together and then not do this. But then ultimately, I'll lead others to join him on mission. That's leadership. And I will tell you, this is one of the hardest things. One of the hardest things is helping a congregation of people to live as agents of God's mission. You know why? Because they'd rather be passive spectators. Every culture in the world, they'd rather have religious rituals and a religious hierarchy to take care of their religious obligations when we do not serve a God 
who is served by religious rituals and religious hierarchies and just gets us through religious obligations. We enter in a relationship with the creator of all the universe who sent his son to die on the cross for our sin in our place so we might have a vibrant relationship with him that flows through us as we join, that, 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 that his, his love and his grace shows, flows through us as we show and share the love of Christ. And ultimately, what does that finally lead to? Well, I equip others for that mission is multiplication. You remember, we started with multiplication. I want to end with multiplication. I, I, I want to ask you to lead your congregations to be places where true multiplication has taken place. Remember the very beginning, I talked about, well, even the theme of the conference is multiply. You know, and it's a good thing. Multiply. And then there's some, there's some mathematical symbols in the corner. I have no earthly idea what those are. Scott, did you just like write words and symbols on the board here to make this up? Is this like that whole in the shoot thing? You don't even know what it means. You just use the phrase. Al, I want to thank you for getting up and helping us to see that he was just make, making this stuff up. Wow, two over pi. Pi, I know pi. I know pi. Huh. But you know, sometimes I think that multiply is, is just as theoretical to us as these numbers are in the corner of this page. And, and, and here, here is the challenge. I can't, I can't bring a multiplication movement to Australia, neither can you. I'm ultimately a believer. You know, I talk so much about these. I've talked a lot about sociocultural things and about research things, and I believe in it. I, I, I think it's important, and I, I encourage Australia to do more research on churches and effectiveness in church planning and all those things. But, but what I would say to this, I mean, ultimately only God can bring about a movement. Um, just as only God can grow his kingdom, only God can break forth a movement. But, but, but what what I can do is, is, is not make a movement in where I live in Nashville, Tennessee, but I can decide and live in such a way that I model, that I lead, and that I multiply. And so I want to close with this. We're going to have some discussions. So I close, I'm not closing the meeting because there'll be some more dialogue afterwards. But I want to close my time with this, is that um, I believe what you do is the most important work in the world. You know, I run a research team. I, that's, that's not as important as the pastor and leader of the local church who is equipping God's people for works of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. Listen, I, I lead a, lead a research team. I lead LifeWay Research. There are more verses in the Bible that justify you having a concubine than us forming a LifeWay Research team. <laughs> You're in the Bible. I'm not. Pastors, you are in the Bible. But what I would say is this. We can't bring the movement but we can align ourselves with the purpose of God, with a God who's on mission. And how do we do that? By joining Jesus in his mission, by modeling it, by leading to it, and by multiplying from it. And then God, in his grace, we pray with a group of people, maybe right here in this room, but may, and maybe through, through this organization or others, and others, is that, that God, in his grace and his goodness, might look down and say, these are a people who are willing, who are already seeking to live out these principles of multiplication, I want to pour out my blessing and see a movement spread across Australia and the world. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if that movement started here, a place that some say never had a, has had an awakening, that movement would start here. But ultimately, I think God will bless and respond in obe in, 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 to his people's obedience 
as they, as we ourselves say, we're not going to be satisfied with congregate rooms full of passive spectators, but we're going to provoke God's people. Hebrews 10.24, provoke one another to love and good deeds so that I might live as agents of God's mission. Let me pray, and I'm going to turn it over to Scott. This will be my last time to speak to you, so I want to pray for you. Father, in your grace and your goodness, you have redeemed us and called us by name. You've given us new life in Christ, birthed us for this spiritual journey. You've moved us moved us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son you love, according to Colossians. Father, I pray we might live as citizens of this kingdom, that we might say, yes, we are sent on mission, but our whole congregation is sent on mission. A kingdom of priests sent on mission, common and together saying, here I am, Lord, send me. Here we are, Lord, send us. Help us to live as agents of God's mission so that your name and your fame will be more widely known. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing with these pastors and these leaders and I thank you for their service to you. And when I'm just struck by the work that they do, Father, I pray that in some small way what I had to say today and what these panels had to say today would encourage them, not discourage them, would, would press them forward into mission, would provoke them to love and good deeds, ultimately and simply that we might say together that because we gathered here, the name and fame of Jesus was more widely known. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.